King and you're listening to Thinking Off Piste, a podcast for adventurers. We share inspiring stories from professional mountaineers, skiers, boarders, bikers, climbers and hikers who have gone against the grain, abandoned their comfort zone and found success through their dare to be different attitude. Thinking Off Piste is brought to you by Maybe Ski, a Whistler-based adventure ski company creating bucketless ski trips across the globe. If you're looking to get off the beaten track and away from the crowds, head over to maybeski.com to discover what lies beyond your lift pass. Today I'm speaking with the big name in the world of snow sports. He's Britain's fastest snowboarder, Jamie Barrow. So Jamie, first and foremost, what was life like for you before you got into competitive snowboarding? I mean, for me, snowboarding wasn't really something I'd always planned to do. I think I kind of fell into it. I was actually, um, and through school and stuff, I was actually quite shy. And yeah. uh, I... I struggled quite a lot in school. So when I did discover snowboarding, it was definitely more of a way of me escaping and just doing something I enjoyed. I actually had no plan whatsoever to take it to the competitive side of things. Sometimes that's the best way to do it though. So like how old were you back then when you fell into it and what was like the big dream in terms of your future and career? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was born and brought up in Switzerland. So I pretty much had the snow on my doorstep. I was very lucky for that. But I started skiing at a very young age. So basically about 18 months old, two years old, kind of around that time, basically as soon as I could walk. Uh, my parents Amazing. thought that, uh, you know what, uh, walking's not hard enough. Let's just put some slippery things on your feet and hopefully you get the hang of it. So I started skiing from a young age and it was only at the age of eight when my brother, older brother was a little bit faster than me. Uh, um, he would always go off and I, I really didn't like that. So I wanted to try to find something that was better than him at. And that's when I discovered snowboarding and it just kind of took off from there. There's so much competition between kids as well. It's like the ultimate rivalry. <laughs> try and catch Yeah, up. absolutely. And so how did you end up trying out for the British snowboard team in Zermatt then? Well, again, I, what we were saying, I'm, I, I wasn't really competitive at all and I was always through the whole dyslexic thing I kind of had in my mind that I was never as good as everyone else and even if I had nothing to do with it which it didn't um, it was something I was never really competitive for so it was actually one summer which um, my again my brother he went away on some weightboarding camp somewhere and, and uh, I was left alone at home with my parents and so I had to my parents thought you know what he needs to go do something as well get him out of the house basically and they found a snowboard camp. And so they uh, started driving me up. And this is a snowboard camp uh, up in the glaciers. So you can go during the summer. Amazing. Um, but what they didn't tell me was it was actually the tryouts for the British Junior Snowboard. <laughs> and they only just told out. me when I was driving up. Yeah, they just dropped it in there <laughs> because they, they knew if, I, if they had told me before, I just would never have gone uh, because I would have been too shy. And I did panic. I did panic. Yeah, for sure. But I, uh, in the end, eventually calmed myself down. I went for it. And I had a amazing time I love that it's like trickery in its best form you basically have the duration of a car journey to get like the nerves out and then like you're already there so you have to jump in yeah that's so funny. exactly I had no choice my parents kind of <laughs> made me do it and thank god they did because it's definitely changed my life yeah did you ever try like any of the summer activities over there as well you said the stuff in the glacier wasn't it yeah so um I mean I've been doing I've been in the mountains my whole life, so I've always done bits and bobs. I was never really that great at any of them. I had a bit of fun doing it, but nothing really took it forward as much as I did snowboarding. Yeah, amazing. So tell me about how you got into like border cross then. So border cross actually 
was something I didn't know about when I first started going on the British junior team. Um, I started doing freestyle, so just all of the jumps and half pipe and tricks and things like this. And it was actually one summer when I came back to the glacier again, and I was up at the top of the mountain and I saw uh, down to my right what I later knew was a border cross track. And it just looked like so much fun. I just saw all these people going really fast, really racing down this really fun track with little bumps, yeah, jumps that and things. Awesome, to be fair. <laughs> and so basically I, it looked like a lot of fun. So I was like, right, I've got to go have a go at this. And uh, I, as soon as I had a go at it, I, I was hooked. It's like when you stand across and you look at the like massive ski parks and everyone's doing these amazing tricks and just like get the absolute buzz for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this it, it, it basically it looked like a, a different form of Mario Kart just without throwing <laughs> out the bananas out of the back. It just looked like a lot of fun with all how fast they were, and I I love that side of things. So yeah, yeah. When I started doing it, I just I just got hooked to it and just stuck at it. So by this point, did you think like did you know that you wanted to sort of pursue a sort of a career in in like um, boarding and sports, or were you still like on the fence and didn't really know? It was it was kind of a slow progression. I was doing it because I loved it and I kind of it just was that opportunity for me. I finally found something that I was actually good at. And so I just stuck at it. I never thought like I was gonna make a career out of it or this. It's slowly after I started to get into border cross a bit more, um, and I had an a small accidents here and there, and there was one more kind of a more serious one which made um me kind of step back a bit but it still made me grow and want to push myself further and i think it was that that transition where it made me uh actually put myself bigger goals of going to the olympics and then that was the career starting so take me back to that accident the one before the olympics can you walk me through what happened so i mean i had uh I've had a couple of big accidents. So and it, this one I was originally talking about was basically I had one big accident, which kind of slipped a disc in my neck. And that was kind of a, kind of a, the biggest crash I'd had at the time. Um, that and the doctors terrifying. Yeah. It, yeah. it wasn't the nicest experience. Um, and the doctors were kind of like, right, well, it's slipped disc with these are things you can do to get better. And I did everything. And, even though I had a bad crash, it kind of gave me actually some motivation to know, like, actually, I can do better than this if it's the worst that can happen. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it was only then when I started getting really good results, yeah. actually. And I started and going in board across and pushing. Exactly, exactly. That's it gave me drive to do it. Yeah. And um, it was that when I was, that was when I set the goal to the Olympics. And then obviously it began better results here and there. And then right before the Olympics in January 2013, that's when everything changed for me and that's when I had unfortunately another bad accident in the first uh, competition of the season leading up to the Olympics and uh, yeah that was that was kind of what changed everything for me. So what kind of physical stress did the, like the first accident have on your body in terms of like your recovery was it a quick process? Uh, it, it definitely wasn't a quick process I mean it was a slip disc and I think after a crash like that, it's more of like the psychological side of things and the whole mental strength about it, because you are a little bit weary about when you get back, when you're bored, okay, am I going to crash again? And this is going to be bad. And so it was more kind of the process of yes, getting fit again. Um, And actually it, it gave me the motivation. I started to learn a lot more about my body and actually that helped me get even stronger than I was before. 
Um, so eventually it did make me a better snowboarder actually believe it or not a crash actually made me a better snowboarder and uh, that's when things really started to push that's crazy I remember I did um I did a season in Alpe d'Huez in France once and I it was a couple years ago and I broke my pelvis as I was um out on the season so I I was like immediately the next year so desperate to go back really wanted to go skiing like without a shadow of a doubt but the minute I got back on the mountain my confidence was completely knocked and I like I basically forgot how to ski again and I had to spend the first part of the season even though I've been skiing most of my life just like trying to reteach myself so I completely see what you mean with the mental like um knockback or setback were you doing much else to like look after your mental well-being at the time well it was i was quite lucky um at the time from this first crash that i had a lot of support from the the british team and also at the university of bath so i had a lot of people i could work with um both mentally and physically um and yeah that really helped me come back and uh really come back stronger for sure and what was it like the first time you got back on your board since that accident? I mean, it's similar to you, really. It was definitely, uh, yeah, it was definitely a shaky experience. But I think I kind of quickly, once I got back on my board, I kind of forgot about everything. And I just, knowing me, I, I'll just, I just go for it regardless. And so it was quite quickly I came back and was like, okay, I want to go do that now. I want to go fast. And so quietly, <laughs> yeah. I got the love of the sport back quite quickly. And I kind of forgot about the crash and just kept progressing. Good. Yeah. I can imagine, cause I, I can imagine if I wasn't there for a whole season after that, uh, only having skied like holidays, not having grown up on a mountain, I think with just a week's holiday, it would have had like been too traumatic to sort of, by the time I'd gone home, I don't know if I would have been comfortable going again but because yeah. I had like the whole season there I was like to take it day by day a bit at a time and then like the next thing you know you're you're almost better than you were before because it makes you more conscious of it exactly yeah I think anyone who says they're not like afraid of crashing and all this stuff they're not they're so confident that that's actually the worst position to be in because you're not aware of it yeah and I think it's important to be aware of your surroundings and the dangers involved in skiing and snowboarding because yes it's a lot of fun but there are a lot of dangers and if you're not aware of it that's when something serious can happen yeah so it was like you said a kind of making awareness of everything but that made me so I could push myself further and get stronger through it I think the best thing I ever did for myself in that situation was buy my own custom fitted kit so like having your custom Mm. fitted snowboard uh, like ski boots and stuff just gives you so much more power which I love absolutely yeah having the right kit so yeah so So you made a massive recovery you're stronger than ever and it's the first competition on the qualifying run for the Olympics can you walk me through what happened on that day yes we had um uh, so the Olympics was in 2014 that was the target I was going for I don't know whether or not who knows if you can make it or not but it was definitely the target I was going for. And in order to qualify, it's not just the British team who go, right, yeah, you're going. They just choose you and you go. You have to hit certain points to qualify. Okay. Um, and so the year before is actually when everyone's pushing to get all these points. So that's in the 2013 was the big year everyone was pushing and it came into the first competition of the year. I felt really good. I'd been training all summer and I just went down for one of the training runs or even a qualification run, I can't remember. And my back binding on my board, uh, the high back on it snapped and it made so my leg straightened out. So I just sat down really hard, 
there wasn't even, to be honest, it wasn't even that bad of a crash. It was just going around a bank corner and it just broke and I sat down really hard and going at a fast so speed. So like an impact didn't, though, maybe. Exactly. So yeah. I didn't knock myself out or anything. Like I had done on loads of other crashes before I'd knocked myself out. It was definitely, it was nowhere near as bad of a crash, but I knew straight away that something was wrong because after I kind of came to a stop, I was like, oh, you know, a bit shaken up. Anyway, uh, people came rushing over. They helped me take my board off. And I stood up and I just immediately collapsed again. Ah, and I so couldn't scary. walk. And I, yeah. it was just, I knew right there and then something wasn't right. Yeah, it didn't um, feel right. And then I went off to hospital. Did you go, how did they take you? Is it like in a blood wagon or? Yeah, just off, off in a, yeah, they took me off in a <laughs> blood wagon, which I still don't know to this day why they can't find something a little bit more comfortable going down. So oh, always like. Did you have a bad experience? The, Mine was quite oh, good when it, I went in one of those things. <laughs> I don't know if they were trying to find the bumpiest part of the slopes or not, but That's so at funny. the time I didn't know what was wrong with me. I knew something was bad with my back, so it was hurting. And then when you're lying down on your back, going across these bumps, you had quite a speed as well. It was a steep slope going <laughs> down. So, so I, fair play to I, It's nothing to do with the guys who took me down. They were amazing. But it was a steep slope. Yeah. And a steeper slope because of bumps. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a painful trip down to the ambulance for sure. Mine was like the opposite. So, again, when I did my pelvis, what happened was I had like an implant blow like you did. So I lost a ski and I sort of landed sitting on the blade of my other ski, which just sort of busted the back of my pelvis. Oh. And um, I remember it not being right because... I tried to get my phone out of my bag and all of a sudden my hands went completely numb and had like pins and needles. And I was trying to text my phone because I was my friend because I was on my phone I was, and I was on my own up the mountain. And I kind of just remember sitting there and my fingers not working and then it sort of just like slid out my hand and I was like watching it roll down the mountain really hopelessly. And I was like, I felt so helpless. I was like, oh, okay. So we can't use the phone. We can't go after the phone. And in the end, these guys came in with like a blood wagon, but I had such a good service going down. It was like, it's like I was floating. They didn't hit a single, single mogul for me, which is quite funny. <laughs> yeah, because I think they do have better ones now, especially the ones with like... Um with key uh with the skis on and they have like yeah. suspension on it right yeah down. maybe it was one of those that i was on Ma- mine so mine is was just generally on the floor and there was nothing to it it was just every single bump they, they do they do the best they can it's the quickest way off the mountain so yeah definitely it, it was a, a different experience for me but i got down off the mountain nevertheless and so what did the doctors say to you after that accident? so yeah this was it took forever for all the scans i mean if if you're gonna get uh injured yeah mm. they do it there but in Puy and vincent we had a bad bad experience there uh but they took forever and eventually came back so i'm sitting there in so much pain not knowing what's up and eventually the doctor came in and you could tell it wasn't going to be good news because he was his whole way it was like he was trying to think in his head how to kind of word this the best possible way and um, he eventually came in and told me that I'd pretty much destroyed a disc in my lower back. Oh, no. And initially I was thinking, okay, well, this is a similar injury to I had before when I had my neck injury. So mm. I thought, okay, well, I'll kind of come over an injury like this before I can do it again. So I asked the doctor what, what it would take me to get better. And it was then the doctor said that um, the injury was such so that it wasn't bad enough for them to operate on it because it's quite a serious operation to go onto your back, but it wasn't good enough to fix it naturally through physiotherapy and strength and conditioning like I did with my neck. 
And he eventually went on to tell me that I would be in pain for the rest of my life and that I wouldn't be able to run again, never mind snowboard again. That's terrifying. It's like the worst case news you could possibly receive. Absolutely. And I, I was just kind of, at the time, I was a bit shocked because I was like, what do you mean you can't do anything about it? I mean, these days you can most yeah. of the time fix something or get it so I can go back. And yeah, he, there wasn't really a solution to it. And that's something I just couldn't understand. I, I couldn't understand that. And it came at a massive shock because I, at that point, kind of designed my whole life around snowboarding. I mean, I went to Bath University and studied sports performance because it was the only course that would allow me to still be a full-time athlete and get a higher education degree. Um, and they were really designed the whole course around elite athletes so you can help push yourself and have all the support behind it. So uh, I designed all of that. Career. I, yeah, exactly. I also went to university a year early so that I could finish uni and have a year's training before the Olympics. And so that was, so I designed everything. I did my ASNA level in one year in order to go to university a year early in order to go to the Olympics. So I have a year training. So everything from when I was young was planned to go to the Olympics. So to be told suddenly that, bam, I'll never be able to snowboard. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge, huge hit to me. God, it's terrifying. It makes you think you can plan so much for your life and your future, but you just, you can't predict some things and it just comes out of nowhere when you like least need it and least expect it almost. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm laughing about it now, but because yeah. I'm, uh, but at the time I, I was, I, I can't even describe how shocked I was because after that, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I think this is actually an issue that a lot of um, athletes have is because they're solely concentrated on their sports. When something does go wrong, they don't know what to do with themselves. And that was Definitely what I, I had because I couldn't even hardly walk at the time. So I, I was really going crazy mentally like to not know how to deal with the whole situation. So you were told you'd never be able to board again and yet you're sitting in front of me now and you seem completely fit as a fiddle. What was your like rehabilitation process? How long did it take and what did you have to go through for that? Well, I will be going through all this rehabilitation for the rest of my life. Um, and I still am today, like everything I do now has to be work around my back. Um, and, but what's happened over the, over the years is I've learned how my back reacts to certain exercises and doing certain things and what hurts it more. And I've been able to work with some really good physiotherapists to help strengthen up the areas around my back and do movements in different ways so that I don't put as much pressure on my back. It doesn't solve the issue. It's always going to be there, but it helps me so I can progress a bit further. And throughout the years, I'd get better and better at it. Good. That's really good to hear. So how on earth did you go from receiving this awful news into breaking records? It's like such an amazing jump. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Or yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest. I, uh, Basically, after a, f a few months, basically, I had injured myself in January 2013. Mm. And after a few months, I'd just gone crazy. I couldn't, I saw my friends posting about them going skiing and snowboarding. Oh, that would absolutely kill you, yeah. it killed me. It absolutely <laughs> killed me because I wanted to get back to going onto my board. But yeah. I was in pain walking 
around the house, never mind going down and going over bumps and just things going snowboarding. <laughs> and so I knew I w- wouldn't be able to go snowboarding. And even if I really wanted to go and put it up with a pain, it, it would, I would just be really defensive riding. I would just be in a lot of pain getting out of that and not, wouldn't be fun. Um, and I'm always someone wanting to push myself. So I wanted to try to find some way of getting back to doing what I loved despite my back injury. And so find a way to they, make them work together in a way. Yeah, exactly. So I try I came up with the conclusion that I wanted to do something a little bit crazy. And I came up with the idea of going to break the British snowboard speed record. Now, going from being injured to going to break a record might seem like a huge jump, but there was actually some logic behind it. <laughs> I actually did this basically in my head. I thought that going down all these pieces and stuff with all the bumps and all the, and the turning and all this, this is the impacts that was going to hurt my back. Yeah. So in my head, I thought, well, if there's a perfectly groomed speed track going down and I just straight line the thing, yeah, I could put up with the pain for the 20, 30 seconds of that run. And okay. so I thought, yeah, <laughs> I could probably do that. And there's I was always a lot of method in the beforehand. Yeah, there, I was always into my going going fast and stuff beforehand. I think even in, my coach would always tell me off because we'd always go for a warm-up run and that basically means carving around and yeah. all this stuff and warming up your legs, whereas I would just straight line the slopes. And so I'd always, <laughs> I was always into it. Yeah. Um, and so this was kind of something that I'd already had in the back of my mind and I just decided to go for it. What did your friends and family say? Were they like slightly concerned for your safety or were they full support? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. They they were so scared. I think my parents told me later um, that they could hardly concentrate. So both my parents are teachers. They were at school at the time while I was going off doing this thing, and they yeah. they just couldn't concentrate because yeah, there was a couple of bad injuries and deaths that happened on this speed stuff, and mm. so it's really high risk. I mean, when you're crashing at these sort of speeds, it's 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 not good. Um, and so, yeah, they were very nervous, but they still, obviously they knew, they tried to stop me, but they, they eventually understood that there was nothing that was going to stop me yeah. and they would be supportive nevertheless. I love that. That's, that's what it should be. Um, and how long did it take between going from sort of this big accident to making the decision to put aside maybe the advice of the doctors, push yourself and go back into doing what you'd love? Was that, how long was that transition? So it was, a, it was about, so a, so January 2013, I injured myself and it was April the same year. So just a few months later when I did the record itself. Um, it took all the way up to that to actually make me motivated to go and do it. Um, and it, yeah, it was completely against my what my doctors said I should do. They shouldn't, I said I shouldn't even go near a snowboard. So um that wasn't probably the best. I would, and by the way, anyone listening to this, definitely listen to your doctors. I'm not condoning <laughs> not listening to your doctors. But it's about all. it's about taking the advice of your doctors and also following your heart and finding a way to make them work tangibly. Perhaps. Find I, finding a way. Yeah, it's a compromise. I think definitely it could have gone the other way, and something absolutely horrible would have happened. But mm. at least for me, I knew I tried. So I was like, right, I've got to at least try and go for it and that's that's what I did and then uh, I went from being injured to suddenly breaking the British snowboard speed record that's amazing so good um can you take me back to the day when it happened and describe what was sort of going through your head and what you were feeling like on the day whilst you're on the slope 
Because I imagine that's quite it like, a nerve-wracking day almost. One of the most terrifying experiences I've ever been through. <laughs> um, I'll tell you that much. And I was kind of, I was confident. I know I'd gone fast, but this is a whole different sort of speed. And you're around all these professional speed skiers, right? There's no real other snowboarders that do this because even the speed skiers come up to me and go, you're absolutely crazy to be doing this <laughs> on a board. Um, really? oh, and God. I was like, well, it's all right. I've gone fast. I'll do it again. But then what really set me over the edge was right before I did my record, like went up the mountain to go do it. Um, a couple of the speed skiers came up to me and went, yeah, you're, you're absolutely crazy to do this on the board. On the board. And I understand why, because of the whole aerodynamics and the stability on one edge and things like this. Um, but they went on and told me, right, this is right before I did my run, that I think it was a weekend before, a couple of weekends before, two snowboarders had come along uh, to the speed track and they went from a lower start and they hit only about uh, 130 kilometers now. I know it, I say only just because I knew I wanted to go faster than that. Uh, both of them crashed and went into comas. Oh my goodness. And they told you that on the day? They told me that right before I did my run. Whether oh. or not it was true or not, I had yeah. no idea. I don't know if they were just trying to freak me out. That's like mad, so but, unfair. So that kind of, kind of brought it home for me going, Oh yeah, crap, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when I went actually up to the start, um, we in the end we I got two runs on the day. Um, that's it. So you have no practice runs, no nothing. It's just you go for it. So we started on this one thing, and I was so scared going for the first run, and I went for it, and I was able to break the record, but the. We, I knew I could go faster. I felt really comfortable. I was like, right, now I can tuck and attack it a little bit more. Um, so I was like, right, I'll go to the same start again. Yeah. Um, and I'll just go a little bit faster, a little bit tucked in and do this. But then the course officials are like, no, nope, we're going up to the next starting point even higher. Right. And I was just like, I, you're not allowed to turn on these tracks. You'll get fined if you turn. Really? So once you commit, oh you goodness. have have to go for it you cannot turn you can't pull out you can't do anything and basically i was at my limit already on the first start and you had no practice to go up it wasn't just a tiny bit up it was a long way higher so i'm just there going i just got comfortable with doing this high and now suddenly i have to go even higher completely out of my comfort zone and so basically i went so i was like i I don't think i could do that i don't Mm -hmm. think i can do that without having to put a couple of speed checks in to under control and you're not allowed to do that. So yeah. eventually I was like, right, I'll just go up there anyway and just see how I feel. And I was standing at the top of this thing and my, all my arms and legs, my whole body was shaking. Oh, I was bless. so scared. I'd never experienced that before. Like generally Christ. I couldn't control my hands. I was so scared through the whole thing. And eventually came to it and I was like, not sure whether I should do it. And then I think it was actually one of the film crew who, uh, radio th- through to me john i think it was he, he radioed through to me and was just kind of like you're gonna get on with it already <laughs> and i Gentle was like oh, nudge there. Was there you go um and i was like i had to think oh, well, i have to get down the mountain somewhere yeah. <laughs> might as well go straight and so i was like well let's go for it how do you deal with that fear in the moment though it's mad you just have to digest it's the knowing it the feeling you get when you get to the bottom of these things. So I'd already done one run. You just get the biggest adrenaline rush when you've gone so close and pushing yourself so far out of the comfort zone to get that feeling 
thing is incredible. So I knew all it would take 20 seconds. I could just 20, 30 seconds of just going straight line out of my comfort zone, knowing, knowing that right at the end, if I held it together, I'd have the best feeling of my life. And so I was like, right, I've just got to go for it. And then that's what happened. It's kind of almost just like rely on your muscle memory. You know, you've got this, quiet your mind, get it in the zone. Yeah. It's only a bit faster and just keep, I know I can do it. And it's just about having the confidence in yourself to do it. Do you have any like rituals or schedules that you like do in the week building up that help you mentally prepare or? No, not the week, but I think on the day I'll just kind of get as, excited as I can especially it was really hard in the the downhill speed records initially because basically they treated us snowboarders as dirt basically so they put us last out of everything so we were sitting on the mountain for hours waiting for our go they would let all the skiers go first and they let them do a second run sometimes a third run before they'll even let us go down once wonder what that's about uh, basically, it's their, it's their competition okay. and we're just kind of a guest to it. And okay. they just think we're going to wreck up their slope. So um, we're up there for hours. And so once you're all pumped, ready to go, you're like that. And then you're sitting there for hours and your muscles start tight, like getting cold and things like this because you're up really on the side annoying, of the mountain yeah. for a few hours. And so that was a lot harder. Uh, obviously, when I went into doing all my other things I've been doing, it's um, it's different because I'm more in control of the situation. I can get myself yeah. up, pumped up and go for it. That's so true. So obviously you did it. You managed to break the snowboard speed record. But like you said, it's not the only record you've broken. Um, can you remind me of your achievements? So uh, after I'd done that record, I was definitely hooked on going fast and trying to break records so I wanted to try to find different ways of going fast and proving to myself despite my injury I could still do it and I wasn't going to let that injury hold me back so I started to kind of think of some crazy ideas and (laughs) I had uh, I was like towed behind a plane and stuff like this it wasn't necessarily a world record it was just kind of a fun thing to do going very fast and even got contacted by a um, an inventor who had designed these really powerful electric jet engines. I saw that video he on needed, your website. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> he he needed someone basically crazy enough to test them out, and I was like, "Well, that sounds like fun." And add it to the record. It. it was stuff like that I was really yeah. passionate about because I had I like to go fast and I like to kind of push myself going into something new and do something that no one else has done before. I love but that. But my ultimate yeah. goal was always to basically when I was when I was a kid for every single Christmas uh, my parents would buy me a Guinness World Record book every Christmas I got them still at home and I would read every silly record from the <laughs> start to finish I would read the whole thing and go oh wow all this stuff and even before when I was a kid I'd always wanted to break a Guinness World Record I didn't know what it was going to be for but I'd always wanted to do it and so I actually looked the Guinness World Record to find out what speed records there were for boarding. And I came across the Guinness World Record for the fastest speed on a snowboard towed by a vehicle. Right. Okay. At the time, it was something, it was only at like 90, 90 kilometers an hour or something, um, something around that. And I was like, well, I've been much faster than that. I could easily do that <laughs> record. So I found out it's a lot harder to do it because of all the regulations, but eventually okay. went and broke that record unfortunately Amazing. i didn't go anywhere near as fast as i could have done and 
um, I still got that record. And it was an amazing thing for me to get that certificate through at home at the Guinness World Record certificate and actually be in the Guinness World Record book. That was a, one of the biggest achievements of my life doing that. But even though I'd broken this record and got this thing that I'd always wanted, it wasn't as fast as I wanted to go. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of has now led me down a path of going keeping going faster and faster and wanting to go faster and since then I've broken it further two times the record going a little bit faster right the track's not long enough we need a longer track we need a faster car we need this and it's it's just about sourcing everything yeah Yeah. so once I go a little bit faster right right how do we go better we need this this and this and it's so much organization into everything um, to break these records. And it was earlier this year, right before lockdown, I was able to go in Norway and uh, break the latest record and went, uh, my top speed was uh, 183 kilometers an hour. Um, and that was the fastest I'd ever, ever been. And That's it insane. was so much fun. <laughs> However, again, not everything went to plan. Okay. Um, I, this was actually, I'd been planning for over a year to do this one because basically I, I found a longer track, found a better car. I'm using an electric car now um, cool. and also a better driver. We've got Nicky Faulkner, um, who's an incredible driver um, and a snowboarder. So he actually understands what I'm doing a lot, which was yeah. an important thing. Um, but he does amazing nice. stuff. I mean, he does all these Hollywood films. He's the main guy for like filming all the grand tour and top gear and stuff like this so he's done some incredible things and this is what was all coming together to make what i was hoping to go for to go over 200 kilometers an hour and go faster than anyone's ever been on a board um yeah and it, it was it was it was amazing but actually on the day when we turned up so this is we're planning for over a year everything has to come into place got everyone needed to be in there all the film crew all the things you need all the timing gates the track was made specifically for us turned up and there was fog over the whole track so we couldn't see in front of us oh no but the weather forecasts were all saying like oh it's going to be clear yeah. well it was it was clear uh, about 20 meters above the lake the frozen oh. lake it was completely clear but over the lake it was just had this that's fog. so annoying why why was it that you uh, decided to sort of propel against a lake was it because it was like frozen so, you so go basically faster? for this for this record uh, yeah. guinness world records have really really strict criteria okay um in order for this record to be validated it's actually not the top speed it's the average speed over the course of two consecutive runs in both directions so you have to go out and come back within an hour um and it's the average speed of the two runs so obviously if you went downhill you wouldn't go fast uphill no of course you have to have it perfectly flat okay you have to have it perfectly flat and where can you find a snow covered perfectly flat straight track with no one else on and there's a frozen lake that's very true Uh, um because you've also got to remember because you're gonna do it in both directions you can't just have a long track and the timing gates at the end yeah um you need to have them in the middle so basically you need twice as long of a track than you think you need to be able to to do it in both directions yeah Yeah, it's really hard to find it never never, even if you do find it we're getting the permissions to be able to do it is crazy (laughs) and then you've got to think about fog as well yeah didn't they didn't think about that but the um Yeah, so that's why the first couple of attempts of the record I did in San Moritz on the frozen lake there, and it just wasn't long enough yeah, for fair. me, us to accelerate up to the speed we wanted to. Okay. Um, 
And so that's why we found the new location in Norway to do it on, where they were able to make us about three and a half kilometers a long track. And how certain are you that the idea is going to succeed? Is it, do you like know that, are you dedicated to it and you know it's going to happen or is it, well, it's a good Absolutely. experience? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so obviously this, this year's attempt went amazingly. Um, and because I, again, was able to break the record. Um, but what we didn't take into account, like I said about the fog, yeah. was actually, we were having to sit, it was minus 14 or something. And uh, we were having to sit in the car to stay warm while we waited for the fog to kind of clear a little bit. And when it did clear, uh, I was like, right, let's go for it. We can kind of see enough to be able to do a run. Let's just go for it. Oh, anyway. gosh. <laughs> so I got yeah. out the car, put my helmet on, got behind the car, and I gave the signal to the driver to go for it. And this was the first run of the day. This was all it. What I didn't take into account, and something I'd actually never experienced before as severe as this was actually when you go out from a warm car to the cold minus 14 basically the goggles turn to basically stay sticky they, missed, oh, really? they don't they don't miss stuff so they'll miss stuff if you go from cold into the warm right but if you go from the warm into the cold they're fine but they turn really sticky so oh. there was fog <laughs> because of the fog had little bits of snow in it like just little flakes of snow i was getting st- so i went off for the first run yeah as i started to accelerate all the snow started sticking to my lens and also from the spray from the tires of the car started to stick to my oh, lens oh no that's and so inconvenient slowly, yeah and slowly i lost complete vision oh so i gosh. i had my hand in front of me and i couldn't even see my hand in front of my face in the, in front of my face, right there and i the communication between me and the driver was not working Oh, so God. he was just constantly flooring it and accelerating faster and faster and faster. And I'm like shouting down, like trying to see if we could hear me like slow down because basically I was up to a certain speed where like letting go would mean I'd crash. Yeah. Crikey. And I just kept on accelerating, kept on accelerating. And I found out we were, we're at about 180 kilometers an hour. This was on the first run. And I couldn't take it anymore because I had no idea where the finish line was, where he started to slow down. No, well, nothing. And I scary. had to let go. Yeah. I had to let go. And I, it was at that point, definitely the most experience, uh, scariest experience of my life to date was when I had to let go and I just thought I was going to be dead. I ended up uh, having the fastest ever recorded snowboard crash. Um, crash then, though. <laughs> yeah. 180 kilometers an hour crash on a board. And the last thing I remember is just me falling over. And I was like, that's me done. That's me dead. I had no idea. (laughs) And then I woke up. I woke up just in the snow. um, And then the driver running over to me. And I thought it was only about, you know, 20 seconds or so in the driver. But looking at the video footage, it was actually a few minutes. So it must have been I was out cold for quite a long time. Because obviously the car's going 180 kilometers an hour. And on ice, and he needs to slow down. And so, yeah, he had to come back. And for some miraculous, something was looking down on me because I was able to, even though I was knocked out and stuff like this, I was actually able to walk away from that crash um, relatively unharmed, very bruised and knocked out and shaken up. But I was able to walk away from it, luckily. And after a little bit, yeah, shaking, shaking down, I ended up going for the record again a bit later on that same day. And I broke the record, but I definitely wasn't in the 100% uh, mental state to be doing it. But I, I wanted though. to break the record. 
great efforts and we had so many issues with like timing gates and everything like this and there's stuff you just don't predict um so yeah we were able to break the record but again i still that 200 kilometers an hour mark is always i'm very close to it and i want to hit it and i'm not going to stop until i do i love that amazing um what would you say the most challenging the most fun speed record was i'm wondering if that was the most challenging that this one has definitely been the most challenging in terms of like the this target. Like I said, this is uh, this is something that most people all they think about is probably oh you go tie a rope to the back of the car and go for it. But there's actually a huge amount more behind it to actually make it possible through the team and the adjudications, the timing gates, the yeah. locations, scouting, the fitness training stuff like this. Which is why I'm actually making a documentary about this whole procedure. Over the past couple of years, I've been filming it about what it actually takes to break a world record. So That's definitely cool. it was the most, this is the most challenging one um, with the whole organization and logistics of the side of things. Um, and at mentally, because I'm going faster than anyone's ever been on a board. So we have, we're going into the unknown of what's possible both physically and for the equipment wise. How do you think you'll feel once someone beats one of your records? I think if, if I can go to the point where I've gone over the 200 kilometers an hour and I've gone faster than anyone else has ever been on a snowboard. Yeah. I think that would be a point when if someone does come along then and break the record, then I'll have nothing but admiration for them, really. Because I would have, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. If someone then goes and beats that, that's perfectly fine. And if anything, I'd encourage it because I know that it's me who's inspired them to kind of do this sort of thing. And so for me, I would be fine with it. As long as I had achieved what I wanted to achieve, I'd be happy. And if anything, yeah, they're, they're doing it because they, they look at your work and they're so inspired by it that makes them want to do it too. So that makes Yeah, or they just sense. have that bug of being just absolutely <laughs> crazy and wanting to do stupid things, either way you want to look True. at it, but yeah. Either way. Um, and do you think there are any records that you consider have already been taken to their limit? The downhill speed records, um, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Basically, they've banned all speed snowboarding on any of the faster speed tracks just because of how dangerous it was. I mean, we had uh, the last time they ran one, it was my friend who did it. He crashed and went into a coma for three months. Yeah, we had someone oh die. We had, and so, but the problem is with speed snowboarding is when you crash, you're still attached to the board and this just clips and you just tumble and break every bone in your body. Yeah. Whereas skis, even though it's still off, serious, they'll ping off and they slide. This, yeah. this track's perfectly smooth. So they'll slide and they'll get severe burns on them. Um, but it's the tumbling which does it. And so basically they haven't banned speed snowboarding, but they've said they won't allow us back on the fastest track in the world until we, there's designed for bindings which pop off in a crash, yeah. which is just impossible to make. People have been trying to do it, but basically because you use completely different pressures everywhere, there's, it's really hard to get one that, knowing in a crash it will come off yeah so people are trying to design it but so basically that's the limit of what you can do downhill at the moment until someone basically allows you us to do it again for sure makes sense um i wanted to loop back around because you mentioned a documentary you're making and i know you've got a really really impressive sort of collection of extracurricular activities you do so the <laughs> vlogging on your website the travel and sports um the snowboarding trip you did to North Korea was really interesting and you're renovating listed buildings, aren't you? Yeah, I do. I, I try to, I try to kind of do things 
things that I enjoy and do things that are fun. So whatever crazy idea I've come up in my head, uh, I'll go and do it. So for example, that North Korea one, I'd just seen a news article about there's a ski resort in North Korea. I was like, that'd be interesting to go check that out. Why not film it and make a documentary about it? That's so insane, yeah. Somehow that went and actually was one of the most popular videos with now over nine and a half million views with National Geographic on there. And it was an amazing experience. And yeah, I just find fun videos to do. And that's definitely where I'm going more towards is making the videos and documentary side of things for sure. Cool. Did you have to get, so how did you get permission and access to film there? Was it difficult? <laughs> Very difficult. <Yeah. laughs> because you can, believe it or not, you can actually go to North Korea quite easily uh, from a tour group. You can go there. But as soon as you bring into evolving or filming right, and many, where... making any sort of documentary, it's a big no-no, yeah. really. They won't let us stand. And when we initially approached them, they said no to us. And then it was only a few weeks before we were meant to be leaving our original date. Suddenly, our contact in China called us up um, and said, I don't know why, but they've suddenly changed their plan and they, they're allowing you to go and film. But can you come three days earlier? Okay. Definitely be flexible for that. And we were just sure. kind of like, this is very strange. <laughs> but yeah, okay, cool. We'll accept it. Um, so basically, funny. they wanted us to be there for Kim Jong-il's birthday, the one that died. So Yeah. Um, oh my God, Kim even Jong-un better now. for you guys, though. Kim Jong-il. So they, for his birthday and the celebrations, they wanted to show us their celebrations of they still celebrate the dead leaders. Right. Um, um, and so we went for that. Oh, Yeah. Was there much surveillance and like supervision then if you were oh, yeah. for such we an important time? Yeah. Yeah. We weren't allowed to do anything without the guide. So anytime outside the hotel, we were with two guides and a driver Yeah, and we were separated from the rest of any group. So there was right. a couple of groups going around, but we had our own private one because they just didn't want any, they wanted us separated from <laughs> yeah, all of it enough. filming. Um, so anytime we went, we looked at it, there were every filming, every piece to camera. They, we, I did, speaking to the camera they were behind the camera taking notes of what i was saying and if for example i said north korea instead of prk democratic people republic of korea right um they would ask they would delete the footage and make us redo it again that's crazy oh my god so there's a lot you don't see in the documentary so always yeah. take it with a pinch of salt these sort of things because you've got to remember that part of the agreement was north korea had to approve this documentary right. before it Fair going enough. out were you monitoring so, balls up the mountain so yeah, mountain was actually the only time when we weren't because our guides couldn't okay. uh, couldn't ski. <laughs> so this was actually the craziest times because we were at the top of the mountain and there's a little restaurant up there. And normally this is where yeah, everyone goes for lunch because this place is absolutely dead. Mm. All we found was these like these oh, this family of North Koreans uh, getting very very drunk and doing karaoke. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and so we were just doing that at the top, like you normally do in any ski resort, yeah. right? You get drunk and get, get karaoke. So yeah, just us joining in with them and there's no one else around us. I don't think many people have had any interaction. Many people from the Western world have had interactions with North Koreans without guides being there. So it That's was actually so quite, funny. it was a, definitely an interesting experience. We couldn't really communicate with each other, but it was fun. Still, yes, yeah, so, so good. Were you ever tempted yeah. to like just completely go free like since... I guess when you're on your borders, the only time you have your own freedom is just like escaping. Yeah. And I'd actually, I mean, looking back on it, it was a very stupid thing of me to do. But in the documentary, you'll see, I actually jump one of the fences okay. and actually get some off piece because it just stumped it with snow. Yeah, and I was like, okay. there's all this fresh powder in this forest bit between the two piece. Nice. Surely that that's great. okay to go. 
and so me and my just wanting to go hit some powder it wasn't great but it was, i just wanted to hit some powder we tree I did it but well. looking looking back yeah looking back on it it's probably a very stupid thing to do That's in north funny. korea but yeah, yeah i mean it was an amazing experience and uh, we've actually been invited back um to their new ski resort they're opening so That's we're actually exciting. hopefully go check that out yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm definitely interested in, we've got so many projects planned um that side of things not just records so i've got yeah other things were going to some interesting destinations I can't talk about right now, but um, hopefully they'll all eventually pan out. Amazing. Um, And also you're into sort of renovating listing buildings. How does a professional snowboarder get into that sort of thing? That's part of uh, the problem with me. I always need to keep myself busy. Um, I I don't do well sitting around doing nothing uh, and playing games and stuff. I don't do well at all. I can't do that. I just need to keep myself busy. And basically during the summer months, um, I had not much on. And so, and I, I live in Bath and the rent here is extortionate, um, really expensive rent. So I tried to look into, started looking into how much it would cost to buy a property as I'm sourcing the funding. And I eventually was able to buy a project, buy a very small ex council flat, uh, and did it up just for the fun of it to keep myself busy. I didn't know I was going to make any money and surprisingly it did all right on it. And that yeah. was basically right. Well, I could probably keep doing this. And so I bought my next one and just started going from there. And it was just an experience for me to just keep myself busy. And yeah, yeah and that's kind of been a, a, a flow for me for a long time and starting up all these other businesses. I love that. That's really cool. There was one that you did, which I, I read about online. I think it was like a grade one listed a building and you'd like matched the stone flooring in the bedroom or something with a supplier yeah. in Bath. And I was like, how on earth did you find So we thing? actually, because the listed building, they're very strict with all the materials you use. We actually found a, uh, we trapped the, some of the original Bath stone upstairs and we were able to track it to a mine right. where it originally came from, and to the best of our knowledge where it originally came from. And we then sourced the rest of the downstairs, which the flooring was basically missing. Yeah. We went down the mine, got the raw stone out of the mine and made it into the flooring for the downstairs, which was a really fun That's experience. So to go cool, down. Yeah. yeah, it was <laughs> great fun. The mine as well. My family have actually yeah. got a, a grade two listed cottage. It's really beautiful. It's a really, it's like an 18th century um, old cottage in a town called Rye. It's in East Sussex. And okay, I love yeah. that place so much. It's actually really sad. I had to say goodbye to it just before like our second lockdown in London. Um, but I went down there and I was looking at the house and the reason that the house basically, is it called subsidence when like part of the property yeah. sort of sinks into the, like sinks yeah, over sinks time? Yeah, sinks down, yeah, exactly. Um, and we used to play like Marble Run with my brother as a kid. And I used to always wonder why he was so good at it. And I went down and there were other times where we sort of like had the Christmas tree up and every year it would just fall down. And as a kid, I just was like, I just I thought nothing of it. And I went down there like literally about a month ago and I was looking at it. I was like, the floors are really wonky. I was like, how did I not notice that as a child? But there's this really lovely lady who's buying it and she's going to restore the house and renovate it. But that's really part of the charm, about. isn't it? About these old yeah. buildings. Yeah, I kind of have to walk, walk around them and that's what makes them so special because so yeah. like all the new builds which are just these boxes and things like and this they're, they're not the same as and they're boring yeah. <laughs> exactly that's why i love bath is because they're all basically all listed buildings yeah. some Such more than character. others yeah um and so i've learned a lot through it and it is part of my i enjoy doing it. i was always into kind of doing places up my parents were always into their diy and stuff so they've helped me out a bit and i've um yeah i, I love doing it during the summer and that was one of my best projects yeah 
Amazing. So what's what's your next project in the pipeline? What have you got coming up? Um, obviously, got my snowboarding wise, all got quite a few world records uh, um, I'm doing. So obviously doing the Tobina car one again. I've got, mm. I'm doing the greatest vertical distance snowboarding in 12 hours and 24 hours. So basically nonstop snowboarding. Wow. Again, a record <laughs> I'd already broken before, okay. but Guinness World Records uh, rejected the evidence because I tripled the record um, um, and they rejected the evidence we gave them, even though we gave them videos, times at the top of the ball, everything. Yeah. They rejected it because I just generally don't believe, think they believed we did it. That's outrageous. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I nearly killed myself doing that. 12 hours nonstop. That's uh, I, I did about the equivalent of about six times the height of Everest um oh in 12 hours wow <laughs> and nearly killed myself doing it but yeah they said no to it so I, now i'm going to go back to not only do the 12 yeah. hour record i'm going to do 24 hours okay. and non-stops for that um Why i've also got another guess anyway? yeah not just got, the 12, well if i'm already going 12 hours yeah, just okay. <laughs> keep going because no one's no one's broken the 24 hour record okay. so i'll just thought you know what if i break the 12 hours I've already got it just keep going as much as i can and see what i can do then I've got what, another one which I'm uh, going to be breaking the speed record for the fastest speed on a snowboard down a bobsleigh track. Cool. Um, this is one that hasn't been challenged since 1998. Amazing. Um, okay. When it was first set. And so for the reason for it, I think if anyone you tell anyone on a board to go ride down some ice, it's the last thing they want to do. Mm. Um, so, uh, I think that would be fun. I don't know if I'll actually break it because unfortunately we're not able to get to the, the track where they broke it originally because they said no and the health and safety wise things have moved on since 1998. Um, but luckily we have found a location. We are allowed to do it and hopefully we'll be able to do that at the end of the season. And they've got lots of other things, indoor records, sand records, all these other things doing while at the same time doing my property and, I also run a, um, a fitness retreat out in Spain uh, where we're combining like skiing and snowboarding and the fitness side of things to help you develop your skiing and snowboarding, but also prevent injury and the stretching and everything involved with it. So it's a week of skiing in Sierra Nevada ski resort while having this insane luxury villa down in Granada doing all the fitness side of things. So it's the best combination between the sun and fitness. So it's 20 degrees at the villa. And 40 minutes later, you're up skiing and snowboarding. And so it's this whole really, really fun time. We did it last year right before lockdown. And I'm hoping to run it again this in 2021 if uh, travel restrictions allow us to. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Fingers crossed COVID sort of, well, we get past it this year. 2021 to be the year. Um, And tell me, is there anything else on your bucket list that you haven't ticked off yet? Definitely. There's a lot of things I want to do. There's loads of, t- of targets I set myself. I'm, even outside of snowboarding, I've got lots of things I want to do. I mean, definitely one I can think of the top of my head is I want to go get a skydive license and start doing skydiving. That's definitely, that, yeah. I think it's on most people's bucket list. Yeah. Um, I probably will eventually see how it goes. And then I've always wanted to do that the base jumping side of things to take it quicker. But who knows? I need to learn how to skydive first before yeah, I go. really cool. I actually want to walk I actually wanted to do that for my birthday next month. Not that I think we'll be allowed to at the moment, but yeah, skydiving's on my list too. <laughs> out in the air outside. So yeah, I'd oh, yeah, love to June. do it. Yeah, exactly. I'd, lo- yeah. I'd love to, 
uh, go and give it a go. And I, I fully plan to do that uh, once I get around. But I, like I said, I do have a lot on my plate, so I'll slowly get to it. And yeah. uh, eventually I'll get to do it. Amazing. That sounds good. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me on Thinking Off Feast today. And good luck with everything lined up. Thinking Off Piste is brought to you by Maybe Ski, a Whistler-based adventure ski company creating bucketless ski trips across the globe. If you're looking to get off the beaten track and away from the crowds, head over to maybeski.com to discover what lies beyond your lift pass.